All right, everyone, welcome. We are on. Thank you for joining. Anybody that wants to still dedicate this class is available for a dedication. Anybody that would like to, you can let me know later. Uh, post class. Uh, tonight is an exciting Torah portion. All the stories of Bereshis in the beginning of the Torah are super, super exciting. The parsha we learned this week is Parsha's Vayera. That's a Torah portion. And it talks about um, the story of Avram Avinu, Abraham, and his... So with the beginning of the Torah portion starts off with after Avram's circumcision, uh, God appears to him. Hashem reveals himself to him. And um, this, this, this is the highest revelation ever. Vayera Elov Hashem. Hashem and the... A simple level, God came to visit him because he just had a surgery and and uh, there is a mitzvah and we know that Hashem keeps the mitzvahs. The commandments that God gives to us, God keeps himself. So God came to visit Avram because it's a mitzvah, it's a commandment to go visit the sick. So um, Avram has this amazing revelation. But as Hashem comes to visit Avram, at the same time, he also has a visit of angels. And the angels come in the form of people. Three angels appear. Three malachim appear. And um, the reason why these angels came, so on the simplest is it says that Avram was very, he was such a kind and giving person and so generous that he was always doing kindness and he was always feeding guests. And it was very painful for him that, um, I guess he was, it was the first three days after his surgery, he wasn't really moving, he couldn't move. But on the third day, um, and actually the third day, it says, is even more painful, but Avram um, just, uh, I guess he couldn't bear the fact that he was alone and he wasn't taking care of people. So he went outside to look for guests. And, and on purposely, as we know, Rashi tells us, God, Hashem didn't want him to bother himself with guests. So he made it very hot. So it like really, 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 the weather shot up and it became excruciatingly hot to the point that it says Hashem took the sun out of its sheet which means it was like intensely hot. And, but that caused Avram even more pain, not the heat, but bothered him so much that no one was on the road. He couldn't invite anybody in. Um, even let's just imagine a human being in today's day sitting outside his house and trying to find anybody to feed. How many people do you know that way? Like, you know, it's not like it's one thing to be a kind person and always have guests over, but to be like indiscriminate, to sit outside and actually call any person you see in for a cup of coffee, for something, just because you need to give. Well, that's what we're talking about. We're talking about a level of goodness and kindness. And that's part of the, the reason of why Avram is the patriarch of the Jewish people, of people that have been a kind people. And we've been taught, as we're going to see in the subject of today's class, is, the, is Avram's um, ability to pass this on to all of his children and grandchildren and great-grandchildren in a very essential, cold, cold, uh, deep state, this charitable nature, this giving generosity. In any case, so he was so hurt by it that the three angels came to visit him. And they came in, the, and they didn't look like angels, they looked like people. That's why he invited them in and fed them and so on and so forth. But everything has multi-layers. So when these three angels, these three malachim came to visit Avram Avinu, their, their, their visit was also because, why three? Because each one was on a mission. Angels are always on a mission. Um, if they're not on a mission and, and they have free time, they're praising God. But when other than that, they're on a mission. 
So the mission that, that, that the, these angels were given, each angel only had one mission because an angel can only carry out one mission at a time. Never sent for two things. So one of them, as it says, came to heal, bring healing to Avram. The other one came to um, report to him and give him the big blessing that his, that his wife was going to have a son. They were going to have a child. They've been waiting 100 years for this child. I mean, now they were 100 years old. Or actually, at this point, they were. He was ninety-nine years old. She was ninety years old, and they've been waiting as a childless couple. God promised them already twenty-five years earlier that they would have a child, and so far it hasn't happened. Or twenty-four years earlier, and they were at such age. And so, one angel came to give them the good news. And the third angel came for the next mission, and that was to turn over to punish um, the towns, the five cities. There were five cities not far. Not too far. You see, God creates balance in this world. And when you have a super kind person, you also have a lot of wicked people. It's always balance. So Avram was super kind. And not too far off, uh, there was a five cities who were infamous for their wickedness. And particularly in that which Avram was righteous, in the very same element that he was so righteous, they were wicked. Because his righteousness was the righteousness of of kindness, of giving, of charity, and taking care of everybody, feeding anybody that needs even, you know, even someone who's not hungry, Avram, you know, kind of made sure that they were hungry, that he can give them something. But the other fellows, they were so cruel that even a starving person, uh, not only didn't they give anybody anything, but if anybody in the, in the town was caught feeding, giving food to the homeless, to the, to the needy, they were punished by death. That's how, that's how cruel this, this, these cities were. So this angel, and this is known as the cities of Sodom and Amora, and, and Hashem, besides many other atrocities. So one of the angels came to destroy those cities. Okay. So the, the, the part of the Chumash that we are going to focus on today is on the Pasuk, on the verse that describes how Hashem breaks the news to Avram that he's going to destroy those cities. So as soon as the angels complete their visit, they give over the message that Sarah is going to have, Avram's wife is going to give birth, bear a child in a year from now. Amazing news. As soon as that was over and the angels leave and two, one of them goes back up to heaven and two of them go on to destroy Sodom. The reason we needed two, one angel can do it. Angels are super cool. They can do a lot of things. So one angel can, was the one who tasked with destroying Sodom. But the second angel was there in order to save Avram's nephew. Avram had a nephew who, who, who lived in Sodom. Now, he would not be saved based on his own merit. He kind of was corrupted along with them. The reason he was saved was because of his great, 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 great granddaughter that was going to come from him many generations later. And she was the grandmother of, uh, of King David, of David Amalek, who in turn is the great-grandfather of Mashiach, which is the ultimate sal salvation of all of humanity, the, the ultimate completer, and brings all of the world to its ultimate, ultimate perfection, uh, the Mashiach that we're waiting for. And all of this is all... Um, is all um, come on in, you can sit down. So, um, so all of this is all um, 
So that's why Lot, Avram's nephew, was saved because he, because he was going to. Avram's nephew was saved because of because he was an ancestor of Mashiach. He was an ancestor of King David. He was ancestor. So there was some good. See, God, when God brings any kind of punishment or any kind of retribution or any kind of thing, you know, the information that he's got is 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 is, is infinite. So he doesn't just judge things by 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 the superficial evidence. He's looking at things to its very end. What's going to come out of something? What's going to come out, 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 out? So in that reason, Lot deserved, or at that merit, Lot was saved. So again, two angels are now continuing on to their journey to those five cities to destroy the five cities. Now, in the midst of all of this, and if things would go as planned, the angels would go and would destroy the cities. And fine. Problem is that Avram would not know about it. Abraham would never have been told that this happened and the destruction. He would have woken up one day and heard the, the news that that wicked cities were destroyed. And suddenly God says, I can't do that. And we encounter a pasuk, a verse, where you, where it's very a very unique verse. Because in this verse, God is talking to himself. Not the only time in the Torah where suddenly we're, we enter into God's, into God's mind and we see a talk, a discussion that God is talking with himself. The Torah, the Torah, the Torah is divine. The Torah is giving us the inside scoop. It's telling us what's happening, right? But it, but it's also telling us what's happening in the inner, 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 most hidden of hidden. So the Torah says like this. This is in in Perek um, Yudches, um, chapter eighteen, um, pasuk Yudzayin, verse number seventeen. Hashem Omar, and God says. Am I going to conceal from Avram that which I do? Am I going to keep this a secret? It's a question. Will I do that? Avram is going to be into this massive great nation. And all the nations of the world will bless themselves in him. In other words, will 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 their blessings will be that they should have somewhat of a connection to the descendants of Abraham, or that they should have some little bit of that which his nation and his people will be blessed with. They kind of would be the envy of the world, and the blessing of the world is to be like Abraham and his children, like Abraham and his children. So for someone who's going to be so great, can I withhold this information? And then they go, and then and then it says further, which we'll soon see what the word means. I'll give you both interpretations. For I know him. I know him. That's one interpretation. This is more simpler interpretation. Or because for I cherish him. Because I cherish him. Why do I cherish? So God is saying, I, I love him so much. Because he will command his children and his household after him. They will guard the way of God. To do righteousness and judgment. So that God can bring on Abraham and Avram that which he spoke about him. What does this mean? What does this mean? 
So again, the verse is saying what God, all this is Hashem speaking to himself or thinking to himself. Hashem is saying, can I conceal it from Avram Avinu, that which I am planning to do? Now, what's really interesting is that it doesn't say anything earlier about what God is planning to do. So far, we're kept in suspense. We only know what God was planning to do from this, that now from the next conversation that Hashem is now talking to Avram and he tells him what he's going to do. And then we see that the Torah goes on to narrate that actually he did it. And we, the next story is the story of the destruction of those five wicked cities. But first we end up with a, with a confrontation. Because after God reveals to Avram Avinu what he's going to do, then Avram, Avram doesn't allow God to do. And, Hashem, and Avram steps up and, he, and, he, and he's defending these wicked people. Because his, his kindness was so great that he, he couldn't even fathom suffering and, and, and punishment to come upon the most wicked of the wicked, even those that are most antithetical to him. You know, we have so many people today who, who, who champion kindness and goodness and, 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 and so much, you know, ideas of, 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 you know, sensitivities to this and this, but only to people who think like that. If anybody dare opposes their way of thinking, they want to, you know, there's absolutely no tolerance. There's so much tolerance for everybody besides those who don't agree with me. And here you have Avram, who's, 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 who's every fiber of his being is kindness and goodness. And the most, people that are the most antithetical to him are cruel people. Yet even to them, his kindness extends. And what does he do? He stands up and he argues. Now, what you see when Avram, we're not going to go into that today, but when you see when Avram puts up a fight to defend these people, he really puts up a fight. He speaks a little disrespectful to God. He really, why? Because he's, he's, going, in for the, he's going in for the kill. He really doesn't hold anything back. Now, for who? For wicked people. That's the extent he's which means he's willing to risk his own relationship with God. He's really, you know, sometimes, you know, someone needs a favor from you to, to speak on their behalf for someone. And you're uncomfortable doing it because you know you have good connections with this person. And if you can ask them for this favor, you might ruin your own, your own benefit that you're getting. So you can't do it. And even if you do it, you do it, then you're so uncomfortable. So Avram is willing to risk his, his, his good favor with God by, 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 by fighting what Hashem wants to do and fighting strongly for them. And he does it. But in the end, his argument doesn't win. He, God goes along with it. In other words, Avram suggests, if there are righteous people, maybe you can forgive. And in the end, they search and they search. They don't even find, they can't even find 10 righteous people in that whole five cities. So once that's the case, then, then, then even Avram, you know, had to throw up his hands and couldn't defend them anymore. Okay, that's the story. But the verses that we're focusing on today is the strange way that God introduces this whole idea. He says, can I cover this up? Can I hide this from him? And why can't I hide it from him? Because he, because he, because Why? Because he's going to be a great nation and everybody will bless themselves with him. And I love him because he's going to command his children after him to go in the ways of Hashem, to do kindness, so that God will bring on Abraham all the blessings that he spoke to him. And that's why he says, I can't hold, I can't, 
I can't hold back this information. So what's the problem? So we have to really understand. First of all, what we need to understand is um, what we're really going to talk about today. is it's a, it's a little interesting to say these words. Will I hide? Will I conceal? Better say, what's that idea? Will I hide? Will I conceal? He should just say, um, let me tell him. What does it mean, will I hide? First of all, why is it called hiding? Why is it hiding from Avram? You know, if you don't tell me what you're going to have tomorrow for lunch, are you hiding from me what you're having tomorrow? Are you obligated to tell me everything that's happening? So if you don't tell me that tomorrow, that you know, you're, 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 you know, you're going to Pasadena tomorrow, and, and therefore, you, you are you hiding this from me? Not hiding it. <laughs> it's what you're doing. So I don't, since when is Avram on, 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 have to approve every single thing that God does, that God has to say, if I don't tell him, I'm hiding from him. It's a little strange, the words, am I hiding from him? Am I concealing? The other thing, what is the connection with the next verse? Why can't I hide from him? Because I love him for what he's going to tell his children that they're going to do, the, they're going to follow the path of God to do righteousness and kindness. What exactly? Why, why is that the compelling reason for him not to be able to hide? Or, or, or that he has to reveal to him everything? So the Rashi, the, the simple meaning of it, Rashi was the chief commentator on Bechumish. So Rashi says, um, first he brings two interpretations of the word, I'm sorry. Rashi says, why can't God hide from him? So Rashi gives simply two reasons why God says, I cannot hide this information from him. Reason number one, Rashi says, is because I promised him that I'm going to give him this land. It's the land of Israel. God's promise to Abraham, to Avram, that this land will be his. Since Hashem promised the land to Avram, and now he was going to destroy part of those lands. And not only was it a temporary destruction, we have to understand this was a permanent destruction. If you go to Israel and you go to the uh, Dead Sea, the reason everything is so dead and it's full of sulfur and it's full of, of uh, nothing really grows over there is because the destruction was so, so strong and so powerful that it destroyed it for generations. So God is basically saying, I am now going to destroy his real estate. I'm going to do an act of destruction in his, in his, in his property. So I should discuss it with him because I gave it to him. Why is it Avram's business? Because it's Avram's land. I'm coming tomorrow in with a bulldozer and I'm knocking down, his, <laughs> I'm knocking down an entire neighborhood of, a, of, of, of land that belongs to him because God promised it to Avram. That's what Rashi says, his first interpretation. Rajbam, who is another commentator, before I go to the second interpretation of Rashi, Rajbam, who is another interpretator, great, who is actually a grandson of Rashi, takes it one step further and explains what's the connection of, of, of this statement to the next verse, where he says, Avram will command his children to follow in the way of God so that God can bring upon him all the blessings that he spoke about him. What's the connection? Very simple, he said. Because even though God promised Avram that he will give him the land, he didn't give it to Avram, he gave it to his descendants. 
Now, if his descendants will be, if Avram's descendants won't be worthy, let's say Avram is a tzaddik. Abraham is a big tzaddik. He's a righteous person. He's a, he's, a, he's a very great man. But what happens if his children are not good people? God forbid. And then God, God forbid, uh, decides that they're not worthy. So then he won't give the land to, to the Jewish people, to Avram's descendants. Then it's not sure. Then, then, then that, so since it's not definite that Avram is going to get the land, again, he likes him now. But who says it's going to end up going to his children if the children do not follow on the path of their father? That's why you need the second verse, which is a continuation to this. If the whole reason God feels he has to tell Avram about the destruction of the land is because it's his land. It's Avram's land. And why is it his land? Because he promised to give it to him. So what's the assurance that it's, that it's really going to go to him? That it's going to go to Because God says, I know Avram, he's going to educate his children correctly. And he's going to educate, and therefore they will follow in his path. And if, if that's the case, they will be worthy to receive the land. And then God will be able to bring on Avram what he promised to him, which means on Abraham's descendants, what he had promised to Avram back then. That means it's definitely going to happen that the land of Israel is going to belong to Avram. If the land of Israel is definitely going to belong to Avram Avinu, I have to tell him what I'm going to do. So now we find the connection. So that's that that makes sense. Now to add, Rashi then gives another another idea why God says I can't hold it back. Another element. Because in last week's Torah portion, after Avram had his circumcision, Hashem changes his name. Initially, his name is Avram, and later his name becomes Avraham. And Avraham is he adds an extra ha hey to his name. And the verse. And the verse explains, the Pasuk explicitly explains the name change. And it says that Avraham means Avhamoin Goyim. He's a father of multitudes of nations. He's not just the father of the Jewish people. Avram will be looked upon as the father of humanity, not just of the Jewish people. He's the father of nations, of nations. If Avram is then a universal figure, a father of all nations, I can't kill the children if I don't tell the father. So that's another reason why Hashem says, I can't, I can't, um, I can't withhold it. But then, maybe, maybe, maybe I could kill the children without telling the father. So that's why Rashi adds, and I love him. If you love a person, you wouldn't harm his children. Even if you have to do an operation, you wouldn't do it without telling the father. Because I love it. Okay. That's the simple meaning over here. But I want to get a little more mystical. But before we do that, I'll share with you one more interesting um, um, take on, the, on, the, on this idea, especially that makes it a little bit more, a little more, up, we, uh, you know, enjoy, not enjoyable. It would make a little more sense, these words, which Hashem is saying, am I hiding? Am I concealing? As I asked earlier, what's the idea of, why would this be considered hiding something? He should rather say, let me tell Avram what I'm going to do. That's, that's, that's it. Let me tell Avram, since he's my good friend, let me tell him what I'm going to do. Hiding from him means it, it, it almost seems like you're doing something behind his back. That's what hiding is. So the Arachayim, who is a much, much later commentator on Chumash, 
a great Spartic Mekubal living about 300 years ago. So the Orachayim Rebchayim Ben Atar gives his explanation. And he says the reason why this is called hiding is because Avram's suspicion was already provoked. When is something called hiding? When are you hiding something from me when I'm expecting to have that information or I'm curious about something you don't want to tell me? So he says Avram must have been curious. Why must have been curious? Because once Avram found out that the people who looked like people weren't people, they were angels, and Avram, and Avram kind of realized what two of them were for, but the third one he didn't know what was a mystery. Because one of them came to heal him, that we got, and the angel Raphael, he's the angel of healing. The other angel came to bring the, the good news, to give the blessing, to deliver the blessing that Sarah is going to have a child, that his wife, that they're going to have children. They're going to have a child. Yitzchak is going to be born. But the, the third one, so far, the third one was coming to turn over Sodom, to destroy Sodom. Avram had no idea why is he in their company. He could have had only two. So his suspicion was already provoked. So if I don't tell him, I'm hiding. See? Plus, he sees the angels. He, he noticed that one flew back up to heaven. The other two are getting onto their motorcycles and they're going down the road. So he's wondering, what are they doing? Where are they going? In other words, the fact that they set off and they're not going back, where do, heaven, where, do, where do angels belong in heaven? So as soon as they're done, they go out of this tent, they flap their wings, up they go. But they didn't do that. They continued going. So again, he's like, and if you were Avram, and you know angels leave, left your house, and they usually know they don't, hang down, they don't hang out here on earth. So what are they doing here? So again, his suspicion was provoked. That's why the Urachim says, God, God is now saying, right now, God is saying, well, I see that he's curious. Will, will I keep hiding this from them? That's why it makes sense, the word hiding, because there is already a curiosity and a suspicion about something going on that he doesn't know. That's why, it's, if, he, that's why if he doesn't tell him, he's hiding. Okay? And then he adds one more, I thought, really interesting insight as well another way to look at it why it's called hiding is because the people of sodom have have already a special connection to avram avram has a special attachment to them what's his attachment to the people of sodom avram's attachment you if we read last week in the torah portion in parshas lechlech we read that there was a great war Literally a world war. Four kings fought against the five kings. And Avram went to the defense of the five kings. And he saved them. It was a massive battle. The five kings were beaten by the four kings. Four kings were, were superpowers. And they defeated the five kings. Which five kings were they? The kings of these five cities. But... So why did Avram go defend them if they're so wicked? Why, he have to, why did he have to go mix into this battle? Abraham joined that battle because they abducted his nephew, Lot. When they came in, they took the people into captivity. And they took Lot, Avram's nephew. So Avram went to stick. Avram had promised Lot a while ago that if he separates from him, if he ever needs him, he's going to come to his defense. So Avram went out and he, and he staged a, a, an attack. Imagine. One person. He didn't go himself. He went with either 318 men or he went, according to the Rashi brings the Midrash, he went with one of his students, one of his, uh, his, 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 uh, his main servant, 
And two people together defeated the armies. It was a, it was a miracle. It was a miraculous war. And God, God gave these massive armies into his hands. He won the war and he liberated and he brought back all the spoils. Who were these? These are the people of the five towns that he saved. But he saved them, or the five cities, he saved them a couple of years earlier. Now, when he saved them, so Avram had already risked his life. In other words, let me put it this way. Avram had invested himself in these five, in these five towns. If he invested himself in these five towns, and now God is going to do something to harm the people of these five towns, that's a direct assault on Avram Avinu. That's why it's considered if he doesn't tell him that he's hiding something. It's not just God's business. It is Avram's business. Why, it is, why is it Avram's business? Because these are the people that Avram saved. And if God right now is going to destroy those very people that he saved 20 years ago, it's like, it's, 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 a, direct, it's a direct insult to the one who defended them and saved them. He risked his life to save them. And now God destroys them. That's why God says, I can't hide it. Okay, this is all on the simple level. But let's get, let's, let's analyze all of this on a far more mystical, deep level. And, 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 and let's first for one moment analyze the next verse. The next verse, it says, Hashem says, I love him. Why do I love him? I cherish him. I cherish him because he's going he's gonna, to he's, he's command his children. He's going to instruct his children to follow in the ways of God. And these are the words. They will follow, they will guard the way of God to do, to do charity. Tzedakah means charity. And mishpat and judgment. Okay. So the question over here that, 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 is, that is a small little, it's not a major question, it just needs, needs a little understanding. What does it mean when it says to guard the ways of God. When you say guarding the ways of Hashem means to follow in God's ways. Following God's ways on the simplest levels means to keep the mitzvahs, to keep the commandments. The commandments are called God's ways. When one is following Hashem's commandments, you are going in the ways of God. Ki yesharim Hashem. The ways of God are righteous and are correct, which are the mitzvot. They are considered the ways of Hashem. If the fulfillment of the mitzvahs, all the commandments are called the ways of God, what is he adding when he says to do tzedakah and to do judgment? Is he adding? Does that mean something else? Or maybe that's just a commentary. What do we mean by the ways of God? The ways of God is to do tzedakah, to do righteousness and mishpat and judgment. So is it just a clarification or is it something else? Because if you learn it's something else, you got to wonder what else is it? What is not included in the ways of God, darke Hashem and the ways of Hashem, that afterwards we have to add lastly tzedakah or mishpat? To do, to do righteousness and judgment. What is being added over here? When we understand the differences between, and that's the greatest, again, let's understand something. This is, this is why God loves Abraham. Now, we all know the Jewish people have always been the apple, the, the, apple, the, the epicenter of everything in the world. 
and, 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 and for thousands of years. And it still is that way. And, and anybody with a little bit of an understanding can see that this is a blessed people. And this that it says in the in the Chumash in the Bible, in the in the Chumash in the Torah, it says this years way back then that 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 these people will be a blessed people is something that is uh, undeniable. And it's all based on what on a deep friendship that happened thousands of years ago between one human being and and and, and God. God found a friend in this world, and He promised him everything. This one fellow, this one fellow, and that's Avram. But what's the reason why Avram was so, so much in God's favor? For what? Because he was so kind, because he was so giving, because he was willing to sacrifice his life for God's name, because he spread God's name in the world. What was the greatest virtue that Avram has that God says, I love him because of this? The verse says, the Pasuk says, not because of all the personal virtue that he had, but because he was going to instruct his children and his grandchildren. In other words, he was going to pass on. He was going to, not that he was going to be good, but that he was going to make others good. He was going to instruct his children to go in the path of God, to go in the ways of Hashem, and to do tzedakah and mishpat. To do, to do charity and mishpat. And that is his greatest virtue. Hashem doesn't say because he, you know, he, 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 he was willing to go in the fire for my name. That's not what he said. It's, not be it's because he teaches and instructs his children. By the way, teaches us how important it is to, to parent well and how much God expects that and would love, wants us to, to educate and to teach and how education, education of our own children but education of all the people around us. How important it is for each and every one of us to educate others with all the good that we learn and not keep things selfishly for ourselves. As we see that that's the great the virtue that Avram has is that he taught others, taught his children and so on and so forth. But one of things, two things, to go on the path of God and to do tzedakah and mishpah. So let's understand this on a deeper level. And once we get this, then we'll understand what does it mean, hamachasani can I cover? Something very, very, very profound. So first of all, we said earlier that mitzvahs are called the ways of God. The ways of Hashem. Why are they called the ways? The ways of God. So let's turn the word ways a little bit and say, you know, a way to travel the way. Darke means a road. A road is also called a derech. You know, when you make a way, you make a road from one place to another place, it's called Be'ezaderech. In which way do you go in Hebrew? In which day? In which way do you go to this and this town or this and this place? So Derech, what? Or Shvil. A Shvil is a small path. Shvil is a small path, but a Derech is a road. So Darke Hashem really means the road of God. What does it mean, a road of God? The road of God means the road that God travels. So what does it mean? God is not a physical being that needs to travel on a road. What does it mean, a road that God travels? And why are mitzvot, the commandments, called the road that Hashem travels? And the answer is, what's the idea of a road? The idea of a road is you can connect two points. Without a road, then everything is isolated. 
From the early time of history, mankind was road builders. And the more talent and the more ability we were able to build roads, the more connectivity and the more communal the world became. And today's days we have roads in the air as well. And many different, uh, we have a more, if besides our physical roads, we have roads of technology, which enable us to connect to the entire world, to the farthest of places instantly. The roads have been built across the world today more than any other time. And that's the inter, in, interconnectivity. And that's why the world is a tiny world these days. Because, but it used to be vast distances and the distances caused massive separation. But the network of roads, any successful economy, and any successful government was a government that was able to build a good road system. When you had a road system, then you can communicate, and then there can be business, and then there can be, everything works with a road. Now, in the olden days when there were kings, let's say, who ruled countries, you have the capital, and the capital, you know, whoever lives in the capital lives next to the king, and then that's like the main city, and then you have, you know, uh, towns and villages and maybe oh, uh, one, one or two or three other major cities in the, in the, in the country, in this country. And, uh, but then you have further and further and further till you have the farthest village and the farthest, uh, you know, um, uh, um, 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 town all the way, all the way out in the middle of, middle of nowhere. Okay. What do the roads do? The roads form the connection. Any person from anywhere across the country is able to travel to the capital. How? By the road, via the road. The king himself, if you can say, is also able to reach across the country. Now, listen, now when we say far, we don't only mean far in mileage, in distance, how many kilometers or how many miles. We also mean in terms of distance also means in, in, in quality. See, the people who used to live, I'm going back to the way things were when there was a monarchy. And even today, in many ways, people who would live in the cities were generally people that had more of an education and so on and so forth. And they would be working on in various different forms of uh, higher, higher forms of, of either the government or higher forms of things. They lived in the cities. And they primarily, and, and those the most most, uh, we would say, aristocratic, lived in the capital next to the king. The farther you went out to the towns and the villages, the people were uneducated until you had like the peasants, the simple, simple people, good people. But they lived all across the country, far, far away. Setting up and building a road system, a network of roads, enables the king or the king's, the king's desire or want, or whatever it is, to reach his entire population. All the towns and all the villages, and even the, even the most forsaken. You know, there's certain roads. First of all, you have an interstate. So you have this major road that's an interstate. It goes across the, it's a major road. Four-lane four lane highway, okay? At least when it passes more and more populated areas. Four-lane, I want to think four-lane highway. Eight-lane highway. Or 10-lane highway, like sometimes you have. It big, and then it's at least a four-lane highway, interstate that goes miles and miles, thousands of miles, the 10 freeway over here, goes across the United States. Okay? Then you have 
But from there, you have smaller roads. Then you have state roads. They're just two-lane highways. And then some places where there's a small little settlement. We don't see it away. You live in, in Los Angeles. You don't get to see this. But you go out a little bit. I was in the summer. I visited Montana and Idaho. You know, you drive off a little bit. And suddenly, you know, you, you see a sign that there is a, but it's a dirt road. It's not even, it's not even a pavement. The United States is pretty good. If you go other countries, it's full of dirt roads. So there are places that are more, and even in dirt roads, there are roads that are kind of gravel. And then there are roads that are just full of potholes and mud and so forth. But still, because there's a road, technically, you can get anywhere because of the roads. So the concept of the road is to make a connection between the capital, which is the center of things, to the farthest of places. So now, let's translate that into the spiritual. There is God who is infinite, boundless, and and uh, right, and then there is a creation. There is a world. Part of the creation, for anybody that studied a little mysticism, knows that the creation is multi-layered. The creation is made up of of myriads and myriads and myriads and myriads of levels of worlds, spiritual worlds, higher and higher and higher, inhabited by sublime celestial beings, and then finally. After many, 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 many descents of levels and levels and levels of realities comes the physical creation, the physical reality, us down here below. And us down here below is considered to be the most remote, removed existence, the most disconnected existence. We are the world of the peasants. We are the world of the uneducated peasants. When I say uneducated and, and it means uneducated when it comes to spirituality. Uneducated, when it, uneducated, I mean when it comes to divine awareness, godly awareness. This world is a world where if you don't search and you don't look to educate yourself in the idea, in spirituality, naturally you remain ignorant because the physical world makes us see and think that all there is is physicality. That's just the nature of the physical world is that it... It communicates to us that, physic that the physical is all that exists. There is no, there is no natural um, a sense that there is a God, there's a, that there's an infinite energy, there is Hashem. And all that is not sensed within the world. How does God's infinite light reach earth? How does, it, does it, how does God communicate and reach down here to this world? For that, there is a massive Inter, 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 intercontinental, interworld highway, we might say it. In, in, not an interstate highway, an interworld highway that connects worlds upon worlds upon realities upon realities upon realities upon realities, higher and higher and higher to levels that are just so beyond our, our comprehension that there is absolutely, we have zero inkling even that they exist. Yet these roads pass, pass. I travel, we all travel on the 10 freeway over here in Los Angeles. Where are we going from? We're going from here to Santa Monica. Maybe we're going a little bit downtown. We go maybe sometimes if we're taking a little bit of a trip, we'll go all the way down to, uh, what is it, uh, over there, uh, where, where is it, Ontario. 
or maybe we'll go to San Bernardino. For August, we go to Palm Springs. Okay, that's already if you're going to take a little a little vacation. So that's the section of the 10 that you know. People who live over here and never really travel will know the 10 freeway is from Palm Springs to here. You have an idea that if you continue going further and further, you're passing through the Mojave Desert and you're moving further and further and you're going to Phoenix and from there you're going to Tucson and then you finally end up in, in deep into Texas. And eventually... The road goes all the way to Jackson, Florida. The same road, the same interstate. But you don't have to know anything about it. If you're living over here, you have zero knowledge that this road travels to, to, to uh, how many miles? About 3,000 miles, this road. And this is the amazing thing. There are interconnecting roads that travel far, far, far past the worlds of angels even higher and higher in our past the world of pure souls, past the world of divine attributes, higher and higher and higher and higher, all the way to the infinite one himself. And the infinite energy, the infinite light of God descends through those roads, down, 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 we're too, into our physical bodies, and into this physical world, albeit we have no clue that that's happening, yet we don't have a clue. Where is that written? No, because we record these classes online, we leave questions for the end. Oh, yeah. Okay. So the, the transmission of light and of divine, divine presence comes down to the world and manifests within the world as a result of what? Only because of those roads. Now, where is that light? We don't see that light. That light and that revelation and that energy is here. Why is it here? Because of the road. And what do I mean by the rebel? That's what a mitzvah is. What's a commandment? What's a commandment? A commandment is an act that God instructed us to do. But the Zohar refers to the, the mitzvahs, every mitzvah, the classic book of Jewish mysticism d d d d d refers to Jewish to mitzvot as Orchem de Malka, the ways of the king. 613 ways of the king. Roads that connect the infinite light that infinitely transcends all worlds and connect it not to the spiritual worlds, connect it all the way, all the way down to our physical reality. That means when after you've done a mitzvah, as simple as putting a penny in a charity box, giving a dollar to a poor person, visiting the sick, you know, cheering someone up, um, putting on tefillin, um, wearing the tzitzit, right, right? this mitzvah, wearing the tzitzit, lighting Shabbos candles, or any kind of mitzvah that we do, studying Torah, any mitzvah that we do, we're filling the physical earth with God's presence. God is descending at that moment from an infinite distance down here. Now, it used to be that infinite distances are what? Are what took, you know, we could imagine you couldn't, you couldn't, you couldn't bridge that, obviously. And 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 road travel took very long. But today we're seeing the ability that instantly you can do something here right now and send it across the world to Australia, the push of a button. Literally, the second you hit email over here and, and send, it's sent across the entire globe. 
it, 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 not even, there's no time even. It's like it's instant when, when it's from here to there. Now, as fast as, as, as any speed, even the speed of light, or God himself moves faster than that because he transcends all time. If that's the case, the second the mitzvah is done, God has traveled the infinite distance on the road. What's the road? The road is the mitzvah. Without the mitzvot, there is no communication. There is no pathway for the divine to come into this world. Every mitzvah that is done channels the infinite boundless divinity and God himself into this world. And that's the reason why mitzvahs are called Derech Hashem. Because just like in the example I said, in order for the king to connect to everywhere in his land, especially the distant remote place, anywhere needs roads. But the idea of roads and a good road system means that there's nowhere, again, a good government creates the accessibility to every single place. See, here's the thing. God gave us, opened up channels, especially when he gave us the Torah. That's the time when God opened up, he built a road. Those roads that he built, is a constru he constructed a inter, inter, as we said, inter-world road system. That there isn't a place in, in the entire cosmos. And when we say cosmos, I mean the physical universe, the physical universe that we can that it can the scientists can 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 detect or, or speak of or see of, but also the spiritual worlds that the Kabbalists can speak of, or even everywhere. Every speck of the universe can be filled with God's light, which means God can enter and descend everywhere. And this is an this is a Boundless distance, an infinite distance is covered through on these roads which Hashem travels when we do a mitzvah. Now, even though we don't see then the infinite light lighting up the world every time you did a mitzvah, if, if you are really introducing the infinite light, how come we don't see it? The answer is it is, it, it is kept under a, 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 a very thin cover that we can't see it just to block it from our eyes until Mashiach comes. Once Mashiach comes, the cover will be blown. And then we will be able to see all the goodness and kindness and all the infinite light that we brought into this world as a result of all the goodness we have done from the dawn of history until today. So really the Mashiach world that we're talking about, which is a world where God is to be revealed down here, where Hashem is manifest and revealed down here on earth, that Moshiach world is not a magical world that is brought on later. It's not some kind of redeemer who's coming to salvage the world, to save the world from darkness. That's not the Jewish view of it at all. Moshiach is the sum total of all of our efforts. Every bit of us, every single one of us is a contributor to Moshiach. We contribute. Moshiach is only the, the person who actualizes it. But what is he actualizing? He's actualizing all the work of all the mitzvot that we have done, all the commandments, every tefillin that was done, every Shabbos candle that was done, every act of charity that was given, every, every verse of Torah, every class that you've gone to and studied Torah. All that is right now, right now, as we're sitting over here, you're channeling infinite light into your brain. Because what I am saying is not my words, it's the words of the Torah. And this is and contained, even though I have no clue, 
And I'm, I'm not even feeling it. I'm teaching this and I'm not feeling it. But through my words is channeling infinite light because it's not me. It's I'm saying what it says over here. And this is and, th and this is the light. This and where is it going into? It's going into a human physical brain. A physical brain is beholding the divine. Not only beholding the divine, it's becoming filled with divine. It's being a finite space is filled with infinite energy. How can a finite space facilitate infinite energy? That's the magic of God. And but 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 he gave us he gave us the manner in which to do it. And how do we do it? We do it through the mitzvah. Every mitzvah that we do, what we do, it does it's not even our business how it happens. We don't even have to know exactly why, what, where, and when. Just like most people today have no idea how your cell phone works. And just because you don't know how it works doesn't mean you can't use your cell phone. You use your cell phone even though you have no clue because you you're not a, you're not a, you're not a uh, computer or whatever scientist. So you don't know how, how these things, if you worked in Silicon Valley and you know, then, then you know the, 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 the science behind it. But every, 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 every little child uses technology. You have no idea. You just know you push this button. This is what happens. I can send out a message to 3,000 people in one shot of a button through the whatever, through, through, through I have a couple of WhatsApp groups. So there you go. Or you have a million email. You have a, a 5,000 email, one button, and there you go. Bang. You sent it out to who knows how what. Do you know how it works? I don't know how it works. Let's make a difference. So we don't have to know where, what, and when the mitzvah draws down the infinite light. But the infinite light is channeled into every aspect of existence through the mitzvahs that we do. And that's called derech Hashem, the ways of God. But here is a very important part. And this is really where this whole class is leading to. Because everything I said till now is something that we've really heard many times. But what's the chiddush over here? What's the novelty? The novelty that is that is that in in in, in a road, uh, in order for a road to be considered a real road, it has to be multi-directional, which means you have to be able to use the road also the other way. If you can only use a road only one way, that means that you can come from the capital to the village, but you can't return from the village back to the capital. Then that's a very faulty road. A road has to be able to move in two directions. You can either come from the inner point to the most outer point, and then you can move from the outer point back to the most inner point. But there has to be in two directions. So when we say that through the mitzvahs that we are doing, we're drawing the infinite light down, 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 all the way into the physical. And then when the days of Mashiach, this physical earth will be illuminated with the infinite light of God. It also has to mean that we can lift the physical up also into the infinite. And what's the difference between drawing the infinite into the physical or lifting the physical into the infinite? Makes a, it, 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 here's the difference. You know, if the king wants to send something, <clears throat> a message to the simple people who live very, very far away and they're uneducated. So he can send, he can send them a message Let's say he wants to, you know, educate them and and teach them a certain, a certain, a certain, a certain. I don't know. He's 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 bringing a certain improvement. They're talking about a really noble, good king, a good, a good, a good, a good teacher, a good, a wise king, a kind king, a generous king. He wants to teach his his subject something wonderful. So he sends a message. He sends a teacher. He sends. So what happens is, if you know. He, if he's able to teach them and he's able to teach them the people that the people get, even these uneducated people get this, get this thought of inspiration. 
So these people might remain as uneducated as they were. They might remain as un, as unrefined as they were before. But now they have something, something special that they got from the king. Something beautiful. Now let's take a silly thing. He teaches them a song. But it's a real happy song. And as a result of that, they go about their day singing this new song and they're very happy because it's the king's song and it's a very, very, very beautiful song and it really lifts their spirits and it energizes them and it's a beautiful, it's a beautiful thing. But who are they? They're peasants singing a beautiful song. Now, if these very same people wanted to ever come to the capital, that's a different story. Why is that a different story? Because as we said before, you can travel on the road, same way. You're going, going this way, you travel back that way. But that's not the point. Point over here is if a guy in the in the in the in the in the village is going to want to go up to the capital, he has to already change the way he dresses because he can't come to the capital dressed like a peasant with his dirty clothing and all that. It's not. It's not. He's not going to fit in. Where's he going to go? So he has to. He has to dress himself up more. So that dressing up is a certain refinement. He also, if he really wants to feel comfortable in the capital, he can't use the same language that he uses in the Hicktown. Because the people over there will look at him like he's off. You don't talk that way. It's just more refined. You know, you don't, you know, the people. I mean, I'm talking about if it's a really refined, educated city. So the people that are coming can't use the same coarse language. You can't use the same coarse mannerisms. So everything has to change. You're gonna go, it's different when you're going into the local shop and you're in, 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 in the midst of this village. It's a little fish, fish uh, caught fishery that's that, that's selling fish that they caught over there. People are eating tacos, which they just, you know, fried in the thing. They're eating with their hands and their and their sauces going all over their faces and on their shirts. And it's okay. But if you're gonna come into the aristocratic restaurant out in the fancy in a fancy five-star vet restaurant in the capital, you can't eat that way. You have to learn how to eat with a fork and a knife. You have to <laughs> you have to dress in accordance to it, and you have to speak differently, and there's a certain eloquence that is required to come, especially if you're going to become a resident in the city. So that means a refinement process. So there's a very big difference of an energy descending downward or somebody from below going up. Going up means a change in the nature of the recipient, a change in the nature of the recipient. It changes. So let's put it this way, because God is so omnipotent and he's so, he has no limitations and no boundaries, he's able to reveal to us something magnificently godly. We, even though we are physical and we have tiny little brains and we have earthy little nobodies, meaning in terms of our, we're very, very coarse and very little in terms of the, the spiritual content of the higher realms and so on and so forth, we're really, really insignificant. Yet because of his omnipotence, his ability, he can illuminate us with, it, with his infinity. And that infinite light can reveal itself to us. Imagine the peasant singing the royal, singing the, 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 the royal song. Uh, 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 you know, uh, uh, um, what would we call it? Uh, uh, you know, a song, a kingly. Well, you know, the fact that he can do it, but as we said before, that doesn't mean we change. That just means we facilitate this great light. Changing means, elevating below means that the physical world changes inherently. It itself changes. And our world becomes less, less earthy, less dense, becomes refined, becomes a vessel for the light. The godly inside of us 
the holiness and the godly light that descends into us becomes part of us because we're able to absorb it. Why are we able to absorb it? Because we become a refined vessel for this light. Like the peasant who goes through a transformational state. That takes work. To receive the king's message doesn't take work, but to be able to move from the village, from the town, and move higher and higher and become a resident of the capital, that can take many, many years of hard labor and hard work until they'll let you in, right? Until you're refined, until you let you in. But then whatever the king is teaching, whatever is being sheared, is something that registers with you, connects to you deeply because you're a vessel for it. You're not coarse anymore. So when God wants this world to become a home for him and God wants the physical world to be illuminated with godly light, God wants two things. He wants us to do a mitzvah. By just doing the mitzvah, we transport godliness to this world. That's the, that, that happens instantly. That's God descending to us. When we do a mitzvah, he descends into our world. And it doesn't make a difference if we are refined, we are elevated, we are pure, we are innocent, we are holy. No, we in our unholy state, we in our coarse state, we the way we are could receive the infinite light. Because if we couldn't receive it, because God couldn't transmit it, that would put a barrier on God. And God is infinite, so he has no barriers. So he can do the impossible. He can shine infinite light into a finite vessel. And we can receive it. Because he's doing it, not because we're a vessel. Not because we are a vessel. But the next stage is the world refined. And that's another thing. What is that? That takes already a lot of work. Which means... In order to refine the world means it's not just enough that we give charity. We do the mitzvah, I give charity. We have to do we have to give charity in a way that it requires a little bit, it requires self-discipline. Which means it's easy to give. It's 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 pretty easy to give, you know, if you have, you know, uh, you know, a bunch of extra singles in your pocket and you have nothing to do with them because, you know, it's just an extra couple of dollars that's sitting around and you don't need it. You, you know, it's just like, it's like an extra, it's like an extra thing in your pocket there. So, you know, the fact that you see a poor person and you give it, as soon as you give it to a poor person, you're channeling infinite light. But you're not ref there's no refinement. There's no change in you. You're, you haven't become a more giving person, really. To become a more refined human being is to give even when it hurts. And not just to give to others, but every time you give, you make sure you give a little bit more than you're comfortable. That's the challenge. And that's a game changer. That's such a game changer. It's not that takes the charity and 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 exponentially explodes that on an exponentially higher level. What do I mean by that? It's when you only have five dollars in your pocket and you're on the way to buy yourself a latte. And you see a poor human being who, who is not lacking a latte in his life. He's lacking lunch for the last three days. And, and you decide that that human being having lunch is more important than your latte. And you won't have a latte. Nothing's going to happen to you. You know what? Even though you're going to feel a little frustrated. When you do that, you have now refined your being You've elevated. You're like the villager who just left the village and came to a closer to a closer town. And from the town, you'll move to the city. And from the city, you'll move to the... And eventually, you'll move to the capital. You see, there's a different way of giving tzedakah. The gift tzedakah in a way that it hurts. Or when you... Any mitzvah you do, 
You do a mitzvah more than it's easy, more than it's comfortable, more than you would like, because then you're taking the nature of your physicality. What's the nature of physicality? The nature of the physical is to be stuffed with its own ego, stuffed with self. When you are challenging the ego inside of you, the selfishness, which is what really is making us finite and limited, is our own stuck, being stuck up with ourselves. But the more we bend our will for God's will to the point where it hurts, at that moment, you're, 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 you're making the physical more refined, more elevated, more uplifted, and you're causing a change not only in yourself, you're causing a change in the entire physical world because we're all interconnected. So a little bit refinement on our own part, a little bit of bending my desire for God's desire has such amazing impact in terms of making that not only will God's light shine in this world when Mashiach comes, but the world will be a vessel to receive it. It's a whole different story. We will be a vessel. And when you're a vessel for something, it becomes so much more who you are and what you are. And that's what the second idea. The ways of God is, the ways of Hashem is doing mitzvahs. Doing mitzvahs, that's good enough. That's bringing God down. But God adds more. Not only are you doing mitzvahs, but the last says tzedakah or mishpat. You're also giving tzedakah. And what kind of tzedakah are you giving? Mishpat means judging yourself in the tzedakah that you give. You take for yourself only what you need and the rest you give away for tzedakah. You take the bare minimum. That's the thing. I mean, obviously you have to live and you have a right. It's your money, you work. So, But you don't need all the luxuries. And only eat once I have a private jet and I have three yachts and I've gone on a vacation, I'm bored already, I have nowhere else to go anymore. So I find myself with extra money and I have already for my children and my grandchildren and great-grandchildren put away, um, you know, and now I have extra $3 billion. Okay, I'm going to be a charitable person too. That's wonderful, that's good, but you haven't, there's no refinement there. There's no, it's when it hurts. It's when you're in a rush because you really have to go somewhere and someone needs a ride and you, and you know what? You stop and you, someone needs to go to the hospital and you give them a ride at the cost of your own, of your own good. That's a refinement. That's not only God coming down, but you going up, you going up. Now, what's the, this is a very, his, 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 and now we get to the point where God says, can I cover from Avram? You see, as long as we're, as a result of the good deeds that we do, it allows God's infinite light to descend down into the world, but it doesn't touch God's essence. It's his light. It's his expression that, that manifests in this world. But as a result of our refinement, the physical world becoming refined and elevated, that touches God at his very quintessence. In other words, that is the deepest inner, inner core pleasure that God has. Because when he created a world, he wanted this world to be, a, to, be, to be a vessel for him. Even though he created this world dark and distant and removed, he wanted our world to work its way through thousands of years of purification until the world will become a vessel for him. And that gives him, his very self, a real thrill, a real pleasure. 
And that's the meaning. Can I conceal? What does conceal mean? Can I keep my essence? The real concealment is God's essence. That's concealed. That's not even expressed in his infinite light. It's his essence. That's the, the level. It's called Hela Ma'atzmi. God's essence. God says, can I conceal? Since he's not just going to do mitzvahs, but he's also going to work his way from the bottom up. He's also going to refine himself. Then, then he has me. Then there's nothing I can conceal from him. Then he has reached me at my such a core essential place. Even that I will reveal. Now the question is, is the world holding at that place in any way? Are we holding by such an elevation? I want to share with you one story that got caught my attention this week. And I think this is an indication that the world has reached this level, a level of an amazing, amazing purification and elevation. That, that even though when we look at the world and we, since we look at things superficially, we see a lot of darkness, we see a lot of chaos, we see a lot of cuckoo-ness, we see a lot of, a lot of not such nice things. But that's because we are looking superficially. When at certain moments there's a crack and we can look at this world and see how godly this world has become, how refined this world has become. So here's this magnificent story. In Lima, Peru, in Lima, Peru, there is a new, there's a new playground that just opened up and children are playing there. Beautiful. Lima, Peru, there's playgrounds. There's playgrounds everywhere. There's a very unique playground. The entire playground, swings and sliding ponds and monkey bars, the entire made out of a lot of steel, metal pipes and poles, beautiful. All colors, red and yellow and green. It's, it's, and the kids are playing. It's beautiful. You can watch the video. All the steel that, that, this, that this was made out of, all the iron that was used in this thing, comes from guns, rifles that was, con was confiscated from illegal gangs and, 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 uh, and uh, whatever, drug cartels. They took 5,000 rifles. They melted the guns of the 5,000 rifles and they created a children's playground. That's the entire story of humanity in, in one little event. When God created the world a few thousand years ago, war was normal. War was part of the, part of the condition of this world being a dark, selfish place. Obviously, a selfish place is going to reach, is going to, is going to, is going to, is going to produce competition and conflict. And conflict is going to lead to muscle, muscle uh, rivalry, which is going to lead to bloodshed and war and so on and so forth all the way to death. And for thousands of years, this world was plagued by, 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 by horrors, horrors of killing and so on and so forth. What were guns used throughout all of history? Now there's a Pusik, there's a verse in Isaiah. Isaiah says that in the Messianic era, you hear this? Isaiah says, or Yeshaya says in the Messianic era, people will, 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 will take the, their weapons you will, you will crush your weapons and you will turn them into plowshares. You'll take your weapons and you'll turn them into plowing. You know, a, a plow is also made out of steel. So you take the weapons, the swords, and you turn them into plows. That's messianic. So imagine if in Lima, Peru, let's say it's an, a neighborhood that is not the best 
in Lima, Peru itself. And there is shootings there. And there is dark stuff that are going on. Let's say there is a preacher who's standing in church. And he stands there with, his, with, with, with Isaiah. And he, and he preaches to the people. Isaiah says that they will come, that the swords will be turned into plowshares. And all the people that are sitting there are shaking their heads and they're saying, yeah, yeah, beautiful. It's wonderful. And they accept it and they love it. That would be God coming down into this world. But that would not mean the world has lifted itself up to God. It means there's a preacher. Even in this physical world, you have someone, a man of God, who's bringing in this dark space, he's bringing the word of God, of Hashem. That's awesome. But that's not enchant. That's, that doesn't mean the nature of people has changed. The world has changed. But when it is natural, when it starts making sense to people on their own, not because Isaiah says so, but because it, that's what people are feeling. It doesn't make sense to have guns anymore. It doesn't make any sense to have all of this. We should take all these weapons and turn them into, and have, what should we turn them into? Into places where children can play. You couldn't have a more radical transition. You couldn't have a greater change of people, of children playing together and, 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 and a place that's weapons that are meant for destruction become become becomes a, 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 a garden, a garden of life. That means the infinite is here. Not here. When I say here, it's more than the infinite is here. That means that the nature of the world has become synchronized with God's will. Because it's normal thinking by people that that's what we should do with weapons. Now, we still have a far way to go because it's only one playground that was created in one place from, and there's enough illegal guns and rifles that are still used in horrible ways across the world. But the fact that it's popping up and we're seeing it happen in one place means that it's already within the consciousness of humanity. It's within the nature of this world to be a, to live in a more godly state of mind and for a more state of existence. And it's not, the point over here is on purpose that it should not be a religious experience. If it's a religious experience means it's, it's coming from above, it's not coming from below. It coming from below means when it becomes just natural thing in the natural state of people's mind, that's what we should do with all guns. Even though we know it says so in Isaiah, but it's not being done because Isaiah said so. It's being done because that makes sense to people today. That's an indication that our world has come so far and that our world has become elevated. That's an indication that the world is not, that God's life is not just coming one directional from up there down here. That happened 200 years ago also. I'm sure there was a priest in Isaiah that was saying that the God says one day that will happen. That's not the point. The point over here is that the nature of people should be that they should gather guns and turn them into. Uh, they had a similar system over here in the United States already called guns for toys. Right. They had the exchange. You come, you turn in your guns and you get toys for your family. That's like kind of the same idea. But that's, again, the police that are asking for this to happen. It's not the police. It's when the people themselves. It's almost like when the criminals themselves are inspired to do this. And I, for some reason, I have a feeling that the inspiration must have come by some, some guy that was once 
once part of this thing, or else why would you be thinking of this criminal activity? It's probably, and I didn't research the story long enough, but that's what it is. It's when the lowest elements of earth start thinking more godly, start thinking more holy. See, I spoke earlier in mystical words, infinite light coming down. So it's when our natural world becomes consistent with God's will. Thinking the way Hashem thinks, that's showing on a deep internal change that's happening in the world. And that reaches much deeper than even if we spill, flood the world with godly light is not as, doesn't touch God anywhere close, satisfy him as much as when the, when we, the, the lowly world itself is sublimated, elevated, changed. That comes to a point where God says, I can't hold anything back. I can't cover. And what is he, what, what can't I cover? I can't cover me. Can I cover me? I can't cover me. I have to be revealed. You've exposed me, my essence. And that's the idea. Started with Avram Avinu, but it's here for each and every one of us. Each and every one of us, two things. This is, we conclude the class. Two things. Number one, do a mitzvah. Do a mitzvah today, do a mitzvah tomorrow, do a mitzvah every day, continuously do a mitzvah. But then, number two, when you do a mitzvah, try to do the mitzvah in a way where you're bringing a certain refinement to your ego. And that is, make yourself a little bit uncomfortable in what you're doing. I'm, I'm not saying that when you're on purposely make yourself uncomfortable, that if you're, if you're, if you're putting on and make it so tight that it hurts you. That's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is when the mitzvah could be done a little bit better, but when you're going to do it a little bit better, it's going to cost you a little bit more money. And that's how you're going to, you know, buy, you go to buy mezuzah, let's say. You can buy a cheap mezuzah for $30 a mezuzah, or you can stretch yourself. And the more nicer mezuzah that has more value, more godly value. Now, a mezuzah, you don't need for your personal benefit. This is God's thing. So you think, you know, if I'm, if I'm buying furniture, if I'm buying something for my own usage, I'll spend the extra money. But if I'm doing the mezuzah, I'm just going to get away with the cheapest one I can. No, no, no. It's in the mezuzah. That's where you spend the most money in. It's in every act of godly and goodness. That's when you push yourself, even to the point that it hurts. That is such a refinement. That is such a transformation. That these mitzvot that we do here cause playgrounds like this to be created and proved. That's the idea. Every time an act of goodness is done, where we go beyond our comfort zone, we push the envelope more than we would like to. We make ourselves uncomfortable in doing mitzvahs. That brings refinement in the material world that it becomes more consistent with God. And may we merit to already see the entire world unfold as a godly place, full of light, full of blessing. And like the name of the parsha, Vayedo Elav Hashem, Hashem appeared to him. May Hashem appear to all of us. May that be today. Thank you. Amen. And now the questions are yours. I'm just going to shut the recording here. Excellent.